Welcome to the Park Road Podcast for September 15th, 2019. Today's podcast is a sermon given by Russ Dean, co-pastor with Amy Jackstein at Park Road Baptist Church. His sermon today is entitled, Sinful Sinners and All Our Sins. has been acknowledged as one of the great theologians of the 20th century. This German academic, the author of numerous published articles and books on theology, once said that sin is the only empirically verifiable Christian doctrine. You get it? You can see sin. You can feel it, taste it, measure it. Just read the newspaper. Turn on the television when you get home. It will be all too obvious. Sin, the only empirically verifiable Christian doctrine. The human predicament, we call it, is at the very heart of all of the world's religions. Something is broken. It needs to be mended. But try as we may, we cannot do it on our own. The Apostle Paul identifies the basic human problem well in his letter to the church at Rome. He says, you know, I don't understand the things that I want to do, I can't make myself do. What I end up doing is the things that I hate. It's like there's this war going on in between me, inside of me, a constant battle. I just can't seem to do what I know I ought to do. And the problem is even larger than that larger than just my personal inability to get things right. It's like it's baked into the nature of reality. It's everywhere. Shakespeare's character Marcellus names it in the play Hamlet when he says something is rotten in the state of Denmark. It's just in the air all around us. And to paraphrase Donald Miller in his book Blue Like Jazz, everybody knows it. It's just obvious. And the reality of that brokenness, that fallenness, that things are not like they ought to be-ness, that sin, Donald Miller says, well, there is something in that basic fact that is some little cue, clue to the meaning of the universe. Think about that. The meaning of the whole universe. Now, we don't talk a lot about sin at Park Road Baptist Church, And I think for good reasons. Now, the good reason is probably not because we aren't just as sinful as every other church in town. The good reason is that we understand how badly abused the subject has been over the years, how misunderstood the idea, how abusive preachers have been pounding the pulpit, pointing the bony finger of damnation, sending congregations out the door feeling even worse about themselves when they leave than when they walk in. Today, you might be tempted to misunderstand as well. Anytime the preacher uses the word sin, that danger arises. The picture on the cover of the bulletin, for example, should not suggest to you that being poor is a sin. That this woman, raising her poor children, got what she had coming to her because she was a sinner. That's not what it means. You got to stay with me to understand the relationship between sin and sins, between humanity and humility. Sin and humility are related concepts, they are not synonyms. 
The Bible is not so much interested in sins, that is lowercase plural, sins, as the Bible is interested in sin, that is uppercase singular. It's not sins, the personal transgressions, large or small. You know, the preachers like to preach about dancing and drinking and going with girls what do. You know, that's not what the Bible's concerned about. The Bible isn't a rule book of petty moralisms, despite how many preachers have abused that notion. The Bible is a testimony to the nature of reality. The world is not the way it ought to be, period. Paul says even nature is broken. Groaning in labor pains, he says, in hope that the creation itself will one day be set free. Hurricane Katrina decimated New Orleans, which has not fully recovered almost 15 years later. Thousands of people died in Puerto Rico last year at the hands of a wind named Maria. And a storm surge called Dorian has just left the entire Bahamian archipelago almost entirely homeless. Nature is broken. And the storms of human failure are no less devastating and mortifying, just more maddening. The reality of all that brokenness, our fallenness, that things are not the way they ought to be-ness, that sin, capital S, singular, well, there is something in that basic fact that is a little cue, a little clue to the meaning of the universe. Think about that. The meaning of the whole universe. If you want to try to condense the entire biblical message to a simplistic summary, that's pretty much it. The world is broken, and God is the source of the mending. In fact, Scripture says God is our only hope for healing. The problem is bigger than we are. The solution must be also. It is the consistent story of Scripture from start to finish, Though they had a shot at paradise, Adam and Eve botched it for all of us, as it turns out. But lest we blame it on Eve's temptation or Adam's weakness, we need to acknowledge that the very nature of that paradise was itself susceptible to failure. There is no logical reason freedom has to include the choice between good and evil. What I mean is the garden could have provided only acceptable choices. There's the tree of knowledge and the tree of good and the tree of love and the tree of life. Couldn't it have been that way? Could have been that way. But the structure of reality from day one, the Bible says, has opened the possibility of corruption. That's where we begin the possibility of corruption. And every effort on our part along the way seems bent on just making things worse. We compound the devastation of hurricanes with petty political grievances, incompetence, corruption. But the good book says, if you follow the story to the end, in the end, good will overcome evil. Sin will not reign. God will. That's the story. From beginning to end, the world is broken, you and I as part of it, and God is calling us to something better. Our text for today, 
The four lectionary selections uh, for this, the 24th Sunday of Ordinary Time, all call attention to our reality. The psalm is one of the most famous, assumed to have been written by King David after his sexual dalliance with Bathsheba, And after he sent her husband to the front lines, so he was killed in battle, so David could have the beautiful Bathsheba as his own, the psalm is a record of a moment of painful self-awareness, honest contrition. David says, oh God, I have sinned. Have mercy on me. The record from Jeremiah comes from the time of Israel's exile to Babylon an exile that is interpreted across the Old Testament as a consequence of Israel's sin against God. The people of God have forgotten the covenant. They have failed God's commands. According to the prophets, the failure of that nation, its defeat by a foreign military power, its departure into exile is the result of their sin, personal and systemic We are judged by our sins, says the writer Anne Lamott, not for our sins. Broken and defeated, the nation finds itself judged by its sin, captive in a foreign land, and called to rely again on the only source of healing and wholeness. While reminding the people of their plight, the prophets also offer grace. Return to God. Confess your sins, be reconciled to one another, and exile will come to an end. In his letter to young Timothy, Paul, mentor and teacher, is reflecting on his own personal story, which really only begins, he says, when Jesus overlooks his failure, strengthening him, judging him faithful despite Uh, Paul calling himself the world's foremost sinner. It was not despite Paul's failure that he became the leading figure of Christianity. It was precisely because of the sin that he could freely acknowledge that his conversion took such a dramatic, world-altering turn. Forgive and forget? No, Paul was forgiven, but he never let himself forget. And the gospel lection for today is a parable of Jesus, a parable that might be taken as a synopsis of all of faith itself. God is the faithful shepherd who searches tirelessly when one sheep has gone astray. That is when we fail, when we fall, when we sin. God is the faithful shepherd, and there is more rejoicing in heaven, Jesus says, over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who don't need to. So there's the story. We read it today in the sweep of Scripture from the Psalms to the Old Testament to the Gospels to the Epistles. The world is broken. You and I as part of it. And being part of the brokenness, we cannot heal the brokenness of our own devices. We need God. That's the simple message. We need God. The opening litany says, we come today in worship. Will you bow yourself before God? Will you be humble? Will you acknowledge you need 
God. I didn't know I was going to get called out from the pulpit last week. But Amy named me among some of our church's advocates. I wish she had not. There are plenty of you she could have talked about in your advocacy work. And I hope she didn't need to tell you that I am an advocate for church, for the church, for this church. Human beings need church. I will say it over and over and over again. Human beings need church. The world needs the comfort of community. That's church. And we need the challenge to take care of one another, the neighbor, the foreigner, the enemy who turns out to be our friend. And both comfort and call, both community and challenge begin in the basic recognition of our humanity. I think that's where it all starts. Community and calling, comfort and challenge begin in our recognizing who we are and the fact that we can't go it alone. I need you and you need me and we need each other and we all need God. Human beings from the earth, the humus, The word gives a clue as to who we are. Our fundamental character is humility. That is, in all our earthy dirtiness, we are inspired by divine goodness to transcend, to be transformed, to become transformers. But transformation begins in awareness in open-eyed recognition, in a full-throated acceptance of the flawed nature of our character. Transformation begins in humility, in bowing to God. And that bending which constitutes worship does not mean groveling in fear or for pity. Acknowledging reality and our complicity in it does not mean wallowing in the mire of the muck Remember that God created us out of that stuff, so God knows what great potential we have despite the nature of it all. Groveling is not grace. Grace is not groveling. But transformation does begin in humility. That is, in bowing in humble recognition of the self and of the other, capital O, the limitation of humanity, the grand mystery. That is God. Transformation begins in bowing in humble recognition and responding in gratitude. Despite all the sins of this sinful sinner, God loves me. Worship is born of humility and results in empowerment. It is not groveling. It is gratitude. May it be so. We invite you to learn more about Park Road at parkroadbaptist.org. Park Road is a progressive faith community located in Charlotte, North Carolina, encouraging independent thought, community service, social justice, and interfaith understanding. Today's podcast was produced with production help from Hugh Ashcraft, Brian Smith, Bruce White, and Rich Dower. 
Our theme music was composed by Brandon Michael Williams. Thanks for listening today. Grace and peace to you.